वेल गाइज वेलकम टू दी कांडफेस्ट पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट आर्यन घोष एंड वेल दिस इंटायर वीक हैज़ बीन फुल ऑफ डिफरेंट डिफरेंट इवेंट्स ऑकरिंग डिफरेंट प्लेसेज वील बी कवरिंग द मिडल ईस्ट इवन द न्यू ट्रेडिंग विद चाइना अ पॉसिबल टेर प्लॉट इन इंडिया इवन द एनरेजिंग सिविल वॉर इन इथोपिया एंड सो एंड सो फोर्थ नाउ लेट्स फर्स्ट बिगिन विद द मिडल ईस्ट नाउ First, let's begin with the UAE. Now, Trump administration has been trying to push an a, a billion-dollar arms deal with the United Arab Emirates, and this arms deal would obviously include a great amount of arms ammunition, be it um, drones or even possible like drones um, for air strikes and so on and so forth. But the problem here is that the U.S. House of Representatives won't let that pass. now let's understand the implications of this possible arms deal with the uae see number 1 the fact that the us actually negotiates with the uae is a big um, you know it's another hit to make democracy because again the uae is a monarchy it's a dictatorship and so the american american democracy dealing with such countries is clearly hypocritical of the system in america now let's look at what implications this could have for the middle east because um the uae is currently involved in the war in yemen which is been separating um is is basically in yemen it was first supporting the south led coalition which is bombing yemen but then i think you're not wrong by 2018 it began supporting a southern um separatist group called the southern transitional council called the rdstc uh, it's a basically it's a separatist uh, movement across southern yemen and there have been increasing amounts of uh, like fights between the south led coalition as well as the stc so the uae support the stc would clearly be in violation of its agreements with the coalition its policy in line with the coalition but then the uae continuously denies a kind of involvement now the stc has gotten a major part of its drone power thanks to the uae because the uae has access to specific american drones which has been clearly a very um, aggressive part of its fire power in the in yemen so the more american arms go into the uae they will soon be um used in the war in yemen they will soon be used to target specific civilian population because the stc as well as the other parties in yemeni civil war have constantly been um you know uh, is always constant targeted this entire thing now let's also understand the uae is part of the abraham accords that's the normalization deal with israel um so in that way this this normalization deal um in response when you know this arms agreement could just be another benefactor for the benefactor a very beneficial factor for the uae in terms of this agreement because it just helps strengthen the agreement even more and let's now since the elections have been over that has been decided and joe biden has won the presidency let's also understand what a biden administration will do now what we've seen in the biden obama administration was that 
there was this foreign policy which was primarily based on values although it did not reflect that much in their policy to saudi arabia now biden has also pledged to end the yemeni civil war to stop arms sales to saudi arabia and so if they're going to stop arms sales to saudi arabia we can speculate that they would also stop arms sales to uae because the uae not only is an active player in the yemeni civil war it's also another authoritarian dictatorship it's a monarchy dictatorship and now these arms sales uh, are being blocked by the house of representatives now the uh, very fact that congressman and congresswomen actually oppose this arms agreement clearly shows that there is not enough you know there is not, not enough common ground among democrats and republicans for this arms agreement which shows that there is no proper foreign policy consensus in the US regarding the Middle East anymore let's also realize what implications this would have for Iran because Iran always has been very it's been surrounded by enemies in the Middle East so Iran would also see this as a major um, as a very um, violent factor because the UAE could anytime even attack iran in this way and so the more arms this arms race which goes on in the middle east this that is primarily taken by the us it could result in just another major war now speaking about iran now the us again imposed tough sanctions on oil now a couple of days ago, uh, a couple of days ago the foreign ministry spokesperson has said that they would not enter the gcpoa beat any administration thankfully the foreign minister actually clarified and said they would and they would enter in an, uh, an agreement only if joe biden were to enter re-enter the jcpoa and were to you know um, destroy all kind of sanctions and now these sanctions are being imposed on by a number of countries because the clear fact is this the trump administration is trying to ensure that biden cannot reverse what its policy has done in the middle east because a couple of days ago this news broke out that trump had asked his foreign as asked his advisors national security advisors on what could be possible options to attacking tehran this would clearly suggest that Trump that 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 Trump is clearly and destabilizing the Middle East. He is just trying to finish off this presidency by destabilizing clear regions. Because as we remember, in January he had launched a drone strike against Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Quds force, Iran Quds force, which clearly angered the Iranians. But they they did not want an you know uh, um. an escalation in the tension so iran when it actually launched those very aggressive missiles against an iraqi a us base in iraq it um, nobody was injured so that's why uh, it shows that iran don't want any kind of escalation major escalation but if the us were to see try or attempt a coup d'etat in iran like how it did back in the 9 in the 70s and the 60s if it tried that kind of a coup d'etat which would most probably fail or even try a military strike against Iran it could begin tensions at the highest level because now Iran could look at possible options to a nuclear war because you know i mean after all when you find a military situation where and this has been on a reason on a context and even in north korea's context and if how the situation comes where a country believes it is so vulnerable that it can collapse like any moment like it's over like you know the game is over for them they can't fight against enemy anymore the one thing they turn to is m80 not mad but 
probably mad because it's mutually assured destruction so they just attack around the country just like that and they get destroyed our country is destroyed it's mutually assured destruction completely and, and that could be a possible scenario in the in iran if the trump administration were to militarily strike them and and that would fail and even in the case of a coup d'etat now speaking about the trump administration right now it's um it's in not a very good state you can understand that they have been pushing false claims of voter fraud um so we've covered this like a lot because even till now they haven't stopped the tweet the tweet rage has in fact continued it um hasn't stopped even twitter has i think gotten tired they've been flagging many of um trump's tweets and the fact of the matter is now this the more and more trump simply prevents a proper transition from taking place um there is an instability in the national security apparatus he has fired his defense secretary mark esper um, based on what happened was there was this article politico that mark esper could possibly be giving his resignation letter to donald trump you know in order to properly resign and you know like a respectfully resign but then trump just fired him anyways and to twitter twitter is trump's best way to you know fire somebody um like his first defense secretary actually you know he um did not uh, he didn't he, he he actually resigned because of trump decision regarding cdia and even mark esper has been seen in disagreement with trump regarding his recent um uh, his uh, in the protests what happened was the black lives matter protests trump um was supposed to travel should go to a church and there were number of protesters on the way so he deployed police who then threw smoke bombs at them careful gas at the protesters while he was going there now this was like mark esper protested against this because obviously like any person would say why are you targeting people with territorial gas just to get through them come on this is not this is not right as in a democracy or even in any proper country if people are angry regarding something that president should hear them rather than simply escaping by deploying the police and throwing tear, tear gas and these divisions have in domestic policy they have been between mark esper and donald trump and therefore it is it was clear then that there was a rift and you know trump doesn't like i mean who would like unless until unless you can find common ground who would want somebody in the administration who continues to oppose them at every step when trump you know the ego is like i don't know man i think it's 10000 infinite i would say so that very seemed like there was going to be some there was going to be a proper resignation and like a week ago like politico had in fact made an article that said that could possibly there could be a resignation that be be made and trump just fired him there and like after a couple of days trump fired him now you know i was watching cnn and they brought up a very very i i forgot the name of the anchor but she brought up a really really important point um it, you obviously must be remembering the 911 attacks you know well al qaeda uh, clearly you know crashed four planes like in different buildings and it was a very big the hugest terror attack in the world 911 i mean it was horrifying it was the beginning of the war of terror it was the beginning of how us foreign policy changed in a massive way and um so the nine there was a bipartisan commission formed by the democrats and republicans bipartisan and 
so they uh, had prepared a very a uh, 500 page report one and you know they the the anchor she had clearly named out of some very important factor a very point that um the 2000 in 2000 remember the elections yeah al gore and donald bush so what happened was bush and al gore got national security briefings but because the election results were not properly certified because you know in 2000 the entire thing came down to florida and that was a state which was being contested recounts were taking place and in 2000 was a time when there was not much like technological development was at its early stages so you could obviously understand that recounts and all would take much more time the situation in the courts also take much more time and so what happened was the national security apparatus was very weak so when bush actually entered the administration as president it took him clearly six months to set up his national security team and everything and this is what and and this is in and you know just two years ago in 1998 there were these embassy bombings in kenya by al-qaeda related affiliates the al-shabaab in africa and kenya and this would clearly be an indication al-qaeda could be planning something in the in, co in course of time so when in 2000 um, this entire transition time took so much time the national security uh, council could not be convened properly there an al-qaeda exploited the time vacuum it exploited a political instability and in 2001 we all know what happened that's when 9-11 took place so um, now speaking about this al-qaeda exploiting political instability now the us uh, we see this election in like this instability like uh, trump has been demanding recounts a georgia recount again it went to biden although there were some votes which are still there for trump biden got the majority in georgia that's it so like this instability has been in america although there has not been you know much of violence as we'd anticipated or not much of uh, like there is a lot of rhetoric and a lot of false claims Although Trump's legal team has been, you know, is giving up, but still. Now, when now it was basically reported that Israel, um, on the very uh, anniversary of those 1998 embassy bombings, Israel had uh, the Israeli police had claimed that they had shot down an Al Qaeda second leader, second command of Al Qaeda. And the um, thing is simply this, you know, although um, you know, the date of announcement, all of that, it seems that, you know, this could possibly be revenge. And we had the location and, you know, we shot them down. But thing is this, think about where this happened. This happened in Iran, right? Iran. Now, Israel having shot down an Al-Qaeda commander. Now, we are clearly uh, aware of about you know Iran's affiliated organizations they have been even referred to as terrorists be it the Hezbollah in in Syria um, then even affiliated militias in Iraq or even the organ even the Hamas in Palestine and the Gaza Strip now this has all got me into a bit of a um, a bit of a dilemma because you know the Al-Qaeda shooting was that commander short just like you know it was the anniversary so you had to shoot him revenge right but the fact that this happened in iran what was he doing in iran you know what was he doing in iran was is iran now going to fight with al-qaeda a military operation 
i don't know it's not it's it could be right i mean you, you cannot you cannot like um like there are so many possibilities because that's how national security is now that's the reason why it's important for the transition team of joe biden to get national security briefings because then they'll be well up to date with what could possibly be brewing so um you know if uh in, in if al-qaeda in fact is plotting something they would be very well aware of it um but that's that and that's why it's important right now that those briefings go to joe biden and that's why this 9-11 commission um commission the points that have been highlighted there are can be very much connected to today's world because this political instability is just anything that terror that terrorists need in order to plot something big and that's a problem now speaking about terror plots well in india um we are aware of the 2008 uh 26-11 attacks uh which took place in the in the industrial city of india mumbai then the um well the, the these were uh these were conducted by the lashkar taiba a pakistani terror organization and um it had left the entire country in like shackles in that time it was a very tough time for the then government to act because um like let's understand the policies how the two governments which have been uh, earlier have acted together uh, in response to pakistan attacks um the modi government and the government of narendra modi which was sworn on 24 in 2014 and re-elected in 2019 well against any terror attack pakistan terror attack and be in a pulwama or in or in balakot or even um back then um in 2016 they conducted surgical strikes very military strikes against pakistan and those were extremely heightened tensions during that time now in 2008 when these 26 level attacks uh, began um but then government of the upa under um under manmohan singh did not respond militarily to 26 11 attacks you know even i think like this is a, this is a small thing right here um so president barack obama he has written a new book called the promised land and he has commented a lot on india's political leaders it's stirred up polit- politics in india right now um but uh, he also wrote about the fact that there was that manmohan singh's decision of 26 11 he was getting very pressurized politically because you know it's in india it's this one anti-pakistan factor which has worked although we are aware you know that the pakistan is in fact a state sponsor terrorism and pakistan has been on the ftf real uh, uh ftf realist uh, because of this very factor uh, of this terror financing issue um but this very anti-pakistan factor has been a very divisive part of politics played mostly by the bjp in this very uh in this very time um so it so what happened was this 20 on the anniversary of 26 11 this year a couple of days only the narendra modi government was able to uh, was the security forces were in uh, were able to um, kill four terrorists who were suspected to have you know ensured that there was another attack in india itself so um this again shows that this now what this now shows is the terror threat that exists during the time of this pandemic you know when governments are more uh you know are more into ensuring that their people are safe that the people are healthy and all of that 
this this covid this covid 19 which has you know taken all of our minds and all these vaccines have come out and it's important to you know this vaccine distributed properly these vaccines get purchased these vaccines get you know into proper place proper conditions and people get them in a proper manner these terror organizations are I mean, working and plotting in order to ensure more and more instability in the world as we move forward and this in fact is much more threatening and the UN Security Council should be in fact working even more to assess these threats to uh, you know pass a resolution to understand to ensure that it is not that to push sanctions further to push those asset fields further and um, now speaking about more and more cooperation required well cooperation yeah that's a term which has been in fact not brought into place for a very long time now considering we spoke about india and which is about cooperation let's come into this new trade deal in the largest trade deal ever signed that was this trade deal between the people's republic of china and all the all uh, all other members of the ASEAN, the ASEAN, and um, this is a huge trade deal, like the hugest trade deal ever. This would you know reduce tariffs on Chinese goods, basically you know ensure more and more Chinese goods in the market, and um, and one of the key members of the ASEAN, India, has rejected to be part of this trade deal. When you know they were simply called for being an observer state, even that is what they were they rejected completely. Let's speak about India's foreign policy on this right now, because you know when India makes kind of a move, it's very appreciated. Like honestly, after what has happened in the um, in the Galwani region, this is very much supported because. Um, India had been attacked by China. China somehow would say betrayed India's trust because China and India were working cooperation for a very long time, and China has been expanding even further. Now the now these countries part of the Asian agreement, the fact that India did not take part is appreciated. I completely appreciate this factor. But what is still lacking is this: had India has not been able to make a consensus among its among other countries of the ASEAN. That hey, you can't be a part of China's trade pact because you know after all, China is a human rights abuser. It's not good. They will betray you once in a while, and it's gonna get really bad for you. So you come with us. That's something India has not been able to sell to the world because this trade pact was signed with countries like even um, South Korea. I mean, I mean, uh, I may understand this. South Korea has lots of heightened tensions in North Korea. Who is North Korea's prime finance ba- financial backer? That's China, right? China has been funding North Korea. It's not. It's what, uh, apart from North Korea's own domestic consumption, North Korea also has been feeding off, getting off the like you know evading sanctions with their Chinese money, and that in and even like forget less. All right, North Korea side. Pakistan is a it's a terror backing group. China has blocked the naming of uh, terrorists in the UN Security Council. It's that bad. It it violates human rights. It has violated sovereignty of so many nations. And this the fact that this kind of treaty about to be signed is extremely hypocritical of all the countries. I mean, let's consider New Zealand. 
that Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, she has also worked on a very important basis. I believe she can be a great reformer in New Zealand. But then again, it's another hypocrisy at the highest level that democracy is, you know, align in order to, um, you know, be with a Chinese, uh, with a with a government in China which is clearly authoritarian. I mean, that's why I even said the EU, you know, it boasts as it boasts itself as an institution that uh, that promotes democracy, although it consists of members who are turning a bit uh, authoritarian, like Poland and Hungary. But still, in I don't know, overall, it's a democratic institution of Europe, and it's pretty effective through its treaties. But what the but the fact that the EU sides with China on this trade or on many trade agreements economic agreements is again hypocrisy because i mean if you're gonna have a value-based policy right you shouldn't even be uh, siding with china now what has happened is in india unlike in china which literally fakes half its products are like faked like like it's completely so faked in china like complete copy paste it's like that copy paste with cheaper products so when you have cheaper products and a small you know a very small cost of production you can sell them at a very high cost right or even you know like substantially higher cost don't if you're if your own producing is so cheap would you if you need to make profit would you have to charge so high no right you can charge substantially like like okay okay high right now the thing in India is this. Now India is a country famous for number of its products, be it silk or be it um, its team number of products. I mean they are all real. The cost of production can actually be a bit high. So when Indian um, businessmen they need to, you know, um, boost is abroad, they need to um, basically use the finest materials, and that in itself can be economically burdening, which could uh, in result in higher prices of those goods abroad so that's why countries find it difficult to buy indian products like to be honest if you f- go into any like any shop which makes purely indian dresses i mean the prices are humongous that's how high prices have to be because um, again cost of production is so high and that's something which india has and that's the reason why india has not been able to be a major trader a trading country in the world otherwise i mean i think then if countries actually you know respected value and democracy they would all side with india and so india's finance ministry is to work along with this because you know as much as it's important and india does not side with china you can't just let china grow because now what's happening is china is laying out its new five-year plan it's going to start boosting domestic um, domestic consumption moreover national security is like the highest it's ever been and india has been participating in a quad alliance in the malabar exercises as happening in two phases right now and it's very important that these quad alliances go on, these military alliances go on. But again, if you can't isolate China economically, if you can't, you know, hit China where it hurts hard, uh, like that's what's gonna matter. If you can hit China where it hurts hard, the economic part of it, that's all you require. I think, I mean, honestly speaking, when when the US got China to WTO back then. They did not. They would have possibly not understood that China would reach so high because China's economic model could possibly be semi-authoritarianism, like you shut the voice to people, 
but you allow them to you know make profit that's how china would basically operate and that's helped them economically like a lot now as democracies you can't obviously do that right so that's one of the key factors if india needs to surpass china it needs to work on its economic stability domestically and foreign products have to be you know it'll like not that high a cost you know it could potentially have um, different effects because right now as you see countries like south korea and japan will be finding china's foreign minister coming there now see if they can maintain a strong this sense this mentality that hey you are coming here we're respecting you all right we're respecting you foreign minister but you know you can't be violating a sovereignty or you can't be messing with us all right you can't be messing with us our policy we are not going to enter compromise with you at this moment if they can be adamant and say no we are going to be quad lines no like for example japan we are part of the quad lines we are going to do what the what we are going to do with other countries you are nobody to dictate to us who we are if they can maintain that stance it would show a lot of defiance to beijing in that kind of a sense but again it would show that democracy democratic values are in fact now appreciated the fact of the matter south korea could be a bit different because south korea might play a big risk if it were to you know just adamantly be like against beijing because after when a biden administration comes in one of the key foreign policy issues has it been over the years it's been north korea you haven't been able to get dprk the democratic people's republic of korea north korea only you haven't get north korea to the negotiation table like trump got them to negotiation table but never agreed and the sanctions committee the unsc continuously every month meets in the sanctions committee the sanctions continue to get imposed but north korea now seems to get used to it they are just running away from sanctions it's not working anymore because in as said kim jong un just unveiled a new icbm i mean while you were trying to think what sanction you should apply the north korean regime is simply making more and more of its weapons and that's helping them to move forward with their nuclear program and it will pose a potential threat to south korea because south korea cannot because i mean after all as i said china financially backs north korea its prime backer of north korea is china so say china were to you know not back north korea at much or to urge north korea to you know get into nuclear agreement with the us or with south korea because there were you know positive developments kim jong un and south korean president moon um you know going into each other's territory and those are very important like uh, achievements but then again the nuclear agreement that's central to south korea's policy right now so if south korea were to maintain a hard line against beijing it could backfire so advisably not to maintain a like a very um uh, hard line stance against beijing but to rather work with them and tell their foreign minister that hey look we have a very big issue we have got so many people at stake in our country we don't want a nuclear war we don't want to resolve the chemical warfare we just need a good agreement a peace agreement we just need to i mean the solution right lies right there we need to officially end the korean war the korean war never ended a ceasefire never end never is a sign of like a war ending i mean nagorno karabakh is in fact the best 
example that i mean 1994 ceasefire or 2008 ceasefire 2016 ceasefire 2020 ceasefire nothing of it works right i mean let me i come and go back after like a minute or so but like that's what i'm saying so ceasefire can't be a situation a korean war it can't be an inter korean war the best thing that can happen right now is to formally end it with an agreement the agreement should also have like a couple of clauses which in fact indicate that north korea will not further its nuclear program it will destroy some of its very big and important icbms or nuclear weapons and under opcw uh, opcw no i mean under under the np and enter the npt if it can enter npt shouldn't enter the npt it would be a very big milestone and nuclear achievement for countries and so down therefore i mean therefore beijing is the key to this beijing could be a very key factor to play in this in this role now speaking about nagorno karabakh well we remember the russian ceasefire that russia had negotiated a ceasefire between armenia and azerbaijan well i would like to say that i think um, uh, uh, what do i say uh, vladimir putin really is i think forgetting armenia i think it's you know he's like quietly shoving them into one side you know i mean cause uh, he ain't helping them much this deal clearly favored azerbaijan to the highest extent possible like wow i mean azerbaijan is like the clear winner of this entire thing because i mean for me it's laughable but like for the people on the ground it's not honestly i mean you see russian peacekeepers have been entering their territory turkish turkey is trying to get its peacekeepers there it would most probably get them there i think and um, now the armenia the political struggle told about that but what's been happening right now is that uh, azerbaijan is now armenia is slowly you know beginning to surrender territory in nagorno karabakh to azerbaijan people in nagorno karabakh have been given they been notified to leave that place and this mass displacement occurring it could just result in a great uh, crisis right now like an idp crisis and internally displaced persons and what the uh, and what azerbaijan is now doing is i believe now azerbaijan is just taking this a bit too far right i mean let's consider this like armenia already has given you that nagorno karabakh on like it's so it's like as if it's given nagorno karabakh to them right it's what you wanted for years azerbaijan wanted us in 1921 come on i mean you got it after a damn century you finally gotten what you wanted now they are you know now they are like hey no like i mean this is like a terror, like vandalism we need to sue the armenians i mean what i mean so look azerbaijan can surely now ensure that there is and can surely in like you know begin programs begin campaigns to you know rebuild nagorno karabakh get you know get its ruins like rebuild from the from square one yeah totally i mean that's exactly the plan and it should be the plan because i mean armenia their prime minister already is under political pressure come on guys let's let's understand what the other side is facing armenia is their political pressure is maximum on nagorno karabakh right its political pressure on the pm has become extremely high on top of that if you see azerbaijan now saying that we see you in court i mean that just i mean don't you think that would push armenia towards 
at side where it you know gets completely bugged with everything and then remember what i said earlier mad mutually assured destruction that's exactly what might just happened so i mean come on like let's understand the compromises made by the other side accordingly to work together i mean now in azerbaijan and armenia have now resolved the dispute you should work together right i mean you all have great amount of oil reserves gas pipelines i mean use that oil gas work on that economic agreement come on economic agreements like how it has been earlier i mean i read on this i have read through number of files on nagorno karabakh and i've seen and there have been so many peace agreements and i've learned that there are how many amazing features on them right like economic agreements on different kinds of uh, on different kinds of features i mean there was one on this on the uh, on declaring nagorno karabakh as republic having their own constitution having their own people referendum holding but that is totally fine but you know it didn't work at the end but i mean you look at the, the agreements the moscow agreement 2008 the the health security principles the monetary principles the even um, like other agreements 1984 those were also something to learn and they have also spoken about mutual cooperation between armenia and azerbaijan and i believe that is key here as i said don't provoke the other side that could lead to a huge disaster now coming to uh, disaster yeah like provocation disaster let's take the sugi terms and let's move to africa where we find a country in turmoil ethiopia well well guess what it's a complete civil war raging there right now and uh, where you know you find this conflict raging on the civil war and the prime minister abiy ahmed he won nobel peace prize you know i mean he resolved the decades long war with eritrea and their neighboring state and uh, i mean the tigray region the tigray region in ethiopia it's a very it's a region that is completely filled with opposition forces with uh, rebel forces completely and uh, what happened was due to covid 19 abiy ahmed had called off election in ethiopia now the rebel forces and tigray they had held an election just like that and uh, like they didn't listen to the government they just held an election and they obviously would emerge winners if you're the one who's you know like if you don't give it an election commission a non partisan commission it will just you know be in your favor simple tampering votes buying votes etc etc and um so the so now what's happened is on to reclaim that that sovereignty as such you know they began firing of regular uh, attacking his government and that has resulted in a great amount of violence in the past couple of days now uh, the problem in the, the in a couple of things is this it also has fired off missiles against eritrea which could be a problem because they believe that since Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed ended the war with Eritrea. Eritrea and Ethiopia have had very good relations. They have been really friendly. And Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed is like pro pro Eritrea, you can say. Yep, yep. So they believe that they are working with Eritrea in order to the fight against Tigray, against the opposition. And for that reason, the they have now protested. They have fired off missiles against Eritrea. This could mean foreign involvement in another internal civil war. now another uh, foreign player here which people are not recognizing is sudan because many of the people who have been displaced because of this conflict or uh, they are all living tigray they have gone to sudan and which has been i mean sudan already has is having is going through humanitarian crisis it's um, having a great number of issues as of now their own 
um they are uh, even there's a transitional government which could be vulnerable at this moment and so this could clearly rock the arab africa at its core and this is something where again you look at foreign players because sudan and editor the african ones who are being played here right but then you come to china you come to the us you come to the eu now china has had the largest grip on africa because of the um, belt and road initiative um, you know economically it's had the strongest ties with africa and russia also has been to boost its significance in um, in africa because of um, its military agreements for example right now only in sudan russia is building a naval base and then you find the us and eu who are engaging african countries at this moment so when you find these countries these they are all you know are working together to ensure that there is a proper um, like uh, cooperation mutual cooperation among them it clearly shows that they are um, that they can agree in peace agreement so the us should be uh, the trump administration should be you know ensuring there is proper uh, a proper peace deal because you know this african instability could again have a very big issue they should engage with the au the african union the european union also should be paying attention to this which they haven't been and the eu and the au should work together two unions right and um, this could actually ensure the us can get much more of attraction on the political stability in africa than Af- in china because china has a huge hand in economics right but uh, the economical partnership can turn political so if before china gets a grip over that the us can use this as an opportunity to do the same even even if i'm not wrong in india as a whole in africa india after all has its ties with africa uh, since mahatma gandhi lost ties with africa and so india should use that as well as political um, political um, stability should be maintained you know a statement by the foreign ministry would be good you know calling for peace and stability in the ethiopian integrated region now there has been a deadline given for the ethiopian saying that now prime minister abiy ahmed is saying that he would begin a very worse military invasion if in integrate if um, the deadline for the thing once passes and i don't accept it uh, accept a peace deal then it's over for it for the integrate for the opposition fighters and this could in fact rock it to its core and and at this very moment and um so it's important that all these countries come together and they ensure there is a proper peaceful um, you know agreement between these two parties so that there is i mean after all if the opposition is claiming the elections have to be held i mean i think then we have to take safety precaution and hold elections otherwise you know the civil war will just continue it will provide even it will be even worse for the people right now and humanitarian agencies are having a lot of bad time because the tigri region has been rid of its internet connections communications are impossible right now over there now coming to two more to last you know updates the trump administration decision to pull out from iraq and afghanistan has been debated but it's but then but a new national security advisor has stated that it would be done from january 2021 you could expect them to get withdrawn completely so um the thing is this when there is a transition agreement going on foreign policy the huge foreign policy um changes should be made by the next administration so that you know i mean the trump administration can give the idea to the, to the biden administration the biden administration can come and execute it because after all 
um, it is important that first the, the, the next administration does such a big foreign policy change because I mean the US has to get involved in Iraq and Afghanistan as you see in Afghanistan there has been worse and worse more and more rocket attacks by the Taliban forces and by affiliated groups and then you have the then you have Iraq where possible Iranian militias could be launching an attack against the US and that is another major foreign policy concern now coming to another uh, big factor the Taliban right now the Taliban is funded by the Pakistani government now you remembered me uh, speaking about Obama's last book the for the promise a promised land right this very book also he claims that Pakistan that he did not in the bin Laden read he did not uh, consult with Pakistan because he was aware that Pakistani services, the ISI, the Inter-Services um, Intelligence Agency, it could have, it had possible ties to Al-Qaeda. Wow, that is a clear violation of like, how many UN Security Council resolutions? I mean, wow, wow, that's a, that's a, that, that shows the, the depth of the terror financing. I mean, and the government which is like clearly failing. So, uh, the fact that the Taliban is now funded by the by the Pakistani government would be another factor in the Khan war. Although I believe that Pakistan would want this war to end. Now speaking about this terror financing, just following this book, this claim by Obama, the EU in the French member of European Parliament, he goes on to he went and called on European member states to impose uh, to. to uh, no stop its financial aid to Pakistan to even possibly impose sanctions and that is important I mean come on the US state sponsored terrorism list does not have Pakistan it was a clearly political as I said right but I think now since Trump had in fact taken up this issue Imran Khan this Pakistan terror financing it should be important right now that the US understand that this is important and name them on the state sponsored terrorism list they have been on the FATF list already now the EU should begin imposing sanctions so that the international community can finally block this kind of financial aid going to terrorists because if the Al-Qaeda is still alive I think it's all thanks to Pakistan and that's a bad deal right it's a very bad deal right now so it's important that the international community comes to consensus regarding this very issue otherwise you know there will be just complete and total havoc all around and use terror finance terror activities in Jammu and Kashmir, even Al Qaeda's activities abroad, all of this could have Pakistan linked to it. And that is a very, very shimmy factor for the Pakistani government. Because I mean there is high the highest unemployment ever. Their agriculture has been the worst affected. They are taking more they are borrowing more and more and more money. They are, you know, extending deadlines for debt and they are in current debt with China. That's a really bad situation right there. So, you know, all the money going to terror outfits, yeah, well, that ain't gonna do much for Pakistan. Is it doing good for them? Nah, it ain't. So, well, this is all we have today. Really, I mean, I apologize for the last one week I couldn't make an episode. Really bad. Work coming up a lot. But, um, like, thanks a lot for listening in. And if you wanna just share to the friends and family, you know, follow it. And don't like completely feel free to give your your ex your opinion on the issues i covered you know tell me if you want me to cover any specific please specific conflict i covered it up for you and so yeah thank you for listening in and good night